I want to give you something here that really just ties in with that, his eye is on the sparrow. It's, it's not my message, but I want to take you there because it just so fits. Uh, look at Psalm 147. Psalm 147. And I may have uh, showed you this before. This thing really begs, begs to be turned into uh, a message. But I was reading it again this week, and it just really, really hit me. Uh, look at verse 3, Psalm 147 in verse 3. And the Bible says, He healeth the broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds. So here's a God, and just like that song suggests, he, he pays attention to something as small as a little sparrow flittering around, something we, we seldom pay attention to, sometimes an annoyance, Right? And he healeth the broken in heart. He sees an individual whose heart is broken. Might be a little girl, nine years old. Might be an old man in his, in his later years. Could be anybody in between. Could be one of you. Could be me. And so here is this great God, and he comes and he pays attention to one individual and their broken heart. And then look at verse 4. He telleth the number of the stars. <clears throat> he calleth them all by their names. He's, if you could pardon the expression, he's small enough to come to one of us individually when we're hurting and minister to that hurt. Healeth the broken in heart but he's so great that he calls all of those stars out there, which, by the way, we can't even begin to understand how many are out there. They have to make up new words, you know, billions and trillions and gazillions. It almost sounds like the national debt, doesn't it? <laughs> and they've come up with quintillions and quarks and, you know... It, but we've only scratched the surface. And here's a God that great, still willing to come to the individual and have compassion. And look what he says in verse 5 in response to all that. Great is our Lord and of great power. His understanding is infinite. So I just got thinking about that as we were singing that song. All right, let's take our Bibles and turn to Psalm 53. Or I'm sorry, uh, Isaiah 53. Turn to Isaiah 53. All right, Isaiah chapter 53. I'm not going to read the whole chapter for the sake of time, but I want to just quickly review a, a, an outline of it that I've given you in times past. And uh, this particular chapter is, is, is the great chapter in the Old Testament, the great chapter prophetically looking forward to the Lord Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And in this chapter, the first three verses, we have the suffering of rejection. Talks about the, the rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3, he's despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. And then in verses 4 through 6, we see the suffering of burden-bearing. 
Surely he hath borne our griefs, verse 4, and carried our sorrows. Verse 5, he was wounded for our transgressions. And then you look at verses 7 through 9, you see the suffering of innocence. Of anyone who should have never had to suffer for anyone's sins or anyone's wrongdoings, it would have been him. He was the sinless one. But instead, he, he bore our sins and took upon himself our guilt and the penalty for our sins. And then you look at the last three verses, you see the suffering of obedience as well as the reward. The suffering of obedience as well as the reward. And that's where I want to pick things up. I just want to look at one a little phrase in verse 12. The Bible says, Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, verse 12, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. I'm glad our Lord is going to be honored and worshipped and acknowledged by the whole world someday. I mean, all of heaven knows who he is. But so many of the millions and millions in this world don't. And he will be acknowledged. He will be worshipped. He will be rewarded. Uh, the Moravians back in the 1700s used to have a saying, may, may, the, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. And he's not yet received it, but this verse is suggestive of the fact that it will happen someday. But I want you to notice the Bible says, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. And that's where I want to park this morning for a few minutes. I want to talk to you about the phrase numbered with the transgressors. Let's pray. Father, now help me to say the things that are necessary, the things that you want said. And Lord, uh, just walk on past those things that uh, there's just too much here, Lord, uh, for the amount of time that we have. There's just too much here. So help me to have discernment and really get me out of the way. And may the Holy Spirit teach and anoint your word to our hearts. Minister to each need represented here today. Lord, it would be impossible for any of us to inventory all the needs here, much less meet any of them. So Lord, please do what only you can do. In Christ's name, amen. Numbered with the transgressors. You know, we talk about our identification in Christ, how we are in Christ. Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We think of our identification with Christ positionally. We think of it on a practical level as we stand up for the Lord and let the world know we are his. But did you ever stop and think that none of that would be possible unless Christ had identified with us? And really that's what you have going on here with this phrase, numbered with the transgressors. Numbered with the transgressors. Christ never participated in the sins of others. And yet he was willing to be numbered 
with us. Because when you're talking about transgressors, this morning you're talking about us. Amen? The first group I want to talk about this morning is the poor. The poor. Did you ever notice how many times when Jesus was defending his credentials and his ministry, in fact, even one time to John the Baptist who got discouraged in prison and said, you know, send, send a messenger and said, are, are, are you, you know, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit, are you the one we're looking for or do we look for another? And among other things that Christ noted, he said, and to the poor the gospel is preached. To the poor the gospel is preached. I don't know if you ever thought about it, but, you know, we have so many social safety nets and things in our country to keep people from becoming poor, but it can happen, especially in third world countries. But really, you know, most of us are only one or two bad decisions from sinking the financial boat, amen? And the Bible says that to the poor, the gospel was preached. The Bible says in James, if a brother or sister be naked or destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, depart in peace, and be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding, ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Do you know, if we see, especially one of the brethren, uh, have a need, and we have the opportunity to fulfill it. It might just be that God gave us that excess so that we could do that. And I do believe as believers, our first obligation is to the brethren. And so he identified with the poor. The Bible says in Luke 4, Christ speaking in the synagogue. And, the, and, and, he, and he quotes this out of Isaiah but he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Now, think of that. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. He said, there's an anointing on me to preach the gospel. And of course, he's going to preach the gospel to everybody. Amen. And we're, we're, going, to, we're going to cover the other groups. But he singled out the fact that he was preaching it to the poor. I think God has a special place in his heart for the poor, don't you? And, and I think we need to be careful. I think when you're driving down the road and you see somebody on the corner, and I saw one the other day, he had a sign, Vietnam vet, please help. Don't drive by that guy as a Republican, a conservative, and give it the old under your breath, get a job. So you know how he got there, right? You're, uh, you have a, a, a mental telepathy or you're, you have some special powers where you can just look at a complete stranger and know the story of their life. You, you see, I... I don't know, I've been all over the New Testament and I haven't found the verse that says we ought to judge him. So sometimes we get caught up in the socio-political part of things. And I'm not saying you have to stop and empty your wallet. I mean, that's between you and the Lord. 
But God has a special place in his heart for the poor. And, you know, we, we may look at somebody that's poor and, and decide that they came by it honestly. We may look at somebody that's poor and scratch our head a little bit because we watch them make a couple bad decisions. But like I said, we're only a couple bad decisions from being there ourselves. And we don't know their life story. We need to be careful about those things. Amen? You say, preacher, are you going liberal? Hey, if being biblical about that is being liberal, then I guess that part of me is liberal. Too bad they picked up on it and we dropped that ball. Let me show you something here that, that excites me about this. I think this is neat. And you may be doing more for the poor than you know. Okay, so I just spanked you a little bit, but I want to show you something here. I want to pat you on the head. I mean it. This is biblical. Go to Psalm 41. I was reading this a couple years ago, and this just hit me like a, a truckload of bricks, and it's so encouraging. It is so encouraging. Um, turn there to Psalm 41, and then with your other hand, go to Psalm 112, because these are, these are connected. And I, I think you'll get a blessing from this. I know I did, and I do to this day. Psalm 41, look at verse 1. Blessed is he that considereth the poor. Now watch the benefits here. The Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. The Lord will preserve him. You know the Bible says in another portion of Scripture, when you give to the poor, you're lending to the Lord. I don't know that I understand that. But isn't that interesting? Here, God, I'll lend you 20 bucks. I know God always pays back with interest. Do what you want with that. Um, and he shall be blessed upon the earth, and thou wilt not deliver him unto the will of his enemies. Look at all these fringe benefits. And then verse 3, the Lord will strengthen him upon the bed of languishing. Thou wilt make all his bed in his sickness. Uh, keep your hand here, because we're going to go back to this, but then go over to Psalm 112, because this is definitely connected. And look at verse 6. Surely he shall not be moved forever. The righteous shall be in everlasting remembrance. He shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart, oh yeah, okay. I fooled myself here. Um, actually, it's 7 through 9. That's how I threw myself off. Anyways, he shall not be afraid of evil tidings. Should I run for president? <laughs> All right, let's get back to this. Quit laughing. <laughs> let's, let's start again here. Verse 7. He shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is fixed. Trusting in the Lord, his heart is established. He shall not be afraid until he see his desire upon his enemies. Now watch verse 9. He hath dispersed. He hath given to who? And as a result, his righteousness endureth forever. His horn shall be exalted with honor. Go back to Psalm 41. Blessed is he that considereth the poor. Did you ever think of missions? in many ways, is giving to the poor. 
Now, that's not why we do it. I mean, I didn't, I didn't discover this but a few years ago, and we've been doing missions here for decades. It's not like we looked at that and said, oh, hey, I want God to bless me, so we're going to unload a bunch of money to poor people all over the world. Folks, when you invest in missions, you are fulfilling those verses we just looked at, whether you know it or not. Folks, the vast majority of the hundreds of thousands of dollars that we give a year as a church through Faith Promise Missions Giving goes to people that are poor. To get them the most important thing that we can give them, the gospel of Jesus Christ. But in many cases, there's more than that. I remember my first visit to Argentina and spending some time with Brother Don Espinosa. And at the time, they had had a, a recession. It was more like a depression. Everybody was out of work, and people were barely able to eat. And I remember going from place to place with him in that orange Chevy pickup of his, with the whole back of it filled with all kinds of food. And we were just going from church member to church member's place and just giving them some food so they could eat. Second time I visited there, we, he took me bass fishing. Best fishing trip I've ever been on. It was uh, Agua de Toro or something, the water of the bowl or whatever. Beautiful lake, snow-covered mountains in the background, nobody else on it but us in his little fishing boat there with the motor. And I think I paid a buck and a half for my non-resident license for, for a week. We caught, I caught so many bass, largemouth bass, that my arms almost fell off. I mean, every single, it was like they had never seen a lure before. Every single cast, a little two, two and a half pound, three pounder. And then he got a five pounder. And then he, sorry, Don, but I'm gonna tell. Then I got a six pounder. <laughs> the belly on that thing oh man I just wish so bad I could get it from Argentina back to the states into my dad to mount but we took those fish when we were all done and I, I think the limit was like 20 or 25 a piece it was ridiculous and we had these big stringers and you know what we did with them we went from house to house in his orange pickup. And he said, now some of the people can get some protein. You see, we don't think that way because, you know, a lot, a lot of people are looking for a way to get rid of a little bit of the excess. We have such abundance Somebody was saying the other day about the supply chain thing. Well, look out, it could, you know, it could hit the food and all that. We experienced it with one thing. 
toilet paper. And what a big crisis that was. I mean, it really kind of was. <laughs> I mean, the paperwork's important. But just one little thing. You know, everybody was running to that section and, and seeing the empty shelves. What if something got messed up with the supply chain with just all of the food? And there was a run on food, and you go to Albertsons, and it's empty shelf after empty shelf after empty shelf. I've been in countries, visited countries with missionaries, where that's what the grocery stores looked like. You'd go down an aisle, and there might be one loaf of bread on one shelf on one side, and that's it. We live in the land of abundance. God's been good to us. And I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but giving to missions, the poor, in many cases, are hearing the gospel for the first time like Jesus talked about. And in some cases, there's orphanages. And in some cases, there's clean water, finally. They get to dig a well. In some cases, there is food. In some cases, there's medical help. How many times have some of our missionaries been involved in some of that? And you know what I read here? God's got a special place in his heart for that kind of thing. And if you're given seriously to missions, you're probably not doing it for that reason. And really, you shouldn't. You should do it in obedience to the Great Commission. But folks, that is a fringe benefit. And I don't know if you ever thought about it, but uh, there, there could be a pretty good little chunk of change waiting for you up in heaven as a result of that kind of investment. Amen? The Apostle Paul said, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, and yet possessing all things. Jesus said of the church at Smyrna in Revelation chapter 2, he says, I know thy works and tribulation and poverty. So he said to these poor believers, I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich, numbered with the transgressors. Christ identified with the poor. The next group would be the physically infirmed. I want you to go back to Isaiah 53, and I want you to take a look at verse 5. Verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are what? Healed. Now, there's a certain amount of controversy about the end of that verse. And uh, so some of the faith healers go around and say, with his stripes, we are healed. Healing is in the atonement. And so they start connecting dots in a way they finally come to the conclusion that if you're saved, you can and should be healed now. So they have these big meetings, 
and people that are sick and have spent their last dime trying to get well and they can't, they come to these meetings and they're looking for healing and the man comes across as an apostolic faith healer, which by the way, there are none alive right now. Okay, and I'll talk to you about that a little more in a minute. And so, to make matters worse, the man can't heal him. He's not like Paul and Peter that could raise people from the dead and at will heal you because the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. They don't go blaming you if you didn't get healed. But that's what these guys do. And then this person who's sick chronically with whatever and suffering is now being told, you ready for this? You might not be saved. Because healing's in the atonement. And if you didn't get healed, maybe you didn't get saved. You know what that is? That's criminal. That's criminal. That is a spiritual crime against humanity and against the grace of God. Jesus identified with the physically infirm. He came to this earth and during his three and a half year ministry, he healed the blind, the deaf, the dumb, the lepers, the halt, the maimed, the man with the withered hand, the lady with the issue of blood, those that, were, that had, had terrible fevers, and the list goes on and on and on. And so how do we answer the question that healing is in the atonement? He wore that crown of thorns on his head, signifying that he bore the curse from Genesis chapter 3 and all the damage that sin had done. The answer is this, folks. It is all ours. But it isn't necessarily all ours now. Do you realize if you're saved here this morning, you're going to get a resurrection body, a glorified body. Now you say, what does that all entail? We've talked about it before, and you know we can't quite get our heads completely wrapped around it. But I'll tell you what, it's going to be a hundred times better than the body you got now. So if you looked in the mirror this morning and you went, whoa, just remember something. You're going to get a new resurrection body because healing is in the atonement. Folks, there will be no sickness in heaven. Think about that. No sickness in heaven. Jesus identified with the poor. He identified with the physically infirmed. And I'll tell you what, if you want a ministry, you want a fruitful ministry, <clears throat> Brother John Paisley preached a message to us some years ago called The House of Mourning. And he goes to the book of Ecclesiastes, and the book of Ecclesiastes talks about the house of feasting and the house of mourning. And the house of feasting represents 
you know, life at its best, life at the apex, life on the top of Mount Everest. Everything's great, and it's a party. But you know what you learn there? Pretty much nothing. In fact, if you're not careful, you can do a lot of foolish things in the house of feasting if you're not careful. But then he talks about the house of mourning. And and the writer of Ecclesiastes talks about how (coughs) the house of mourning is better than the house of feasting because what you learn to take to heart, realities. And boy, I'll tell you what, you want a fruitful ministry, go to the house of mourning. Go to the house of mourning. I remember the first time I got uh, treated for leukemia in, in, in uh, the fall of 02. And it was at MD Anderson. It was down in Houston, Texas. It was, it was the, uh, the rose floor, the seventh floor. And that entire floor was just mostly middle-aged people. It wasn't the kid's wing. Wasn't the real older people's wing or the children's wing or whatever. It was mostly just, that I recall, just middle aged people with, a, with blood cancers. And I remember that first day they, they uh, gave me the first drug, was called Rituxan. And they watched me for a couple hours, and you can have some pretty serious side effects, but I didn't have any. All of you were praying for me. And they might as well have been putting water in my veins for all the more side effects I had. I mean, they had the paddles sitting there. Because 50% of the people that get this stuff, it kills so many of those, uh, uh, so much of the tumor burden that you get this lysis syndrome, whatever that is, and you go into shock and, and they got to, you know, get your heart going again. None of that. And so after a couple hours, a doctor came in and looked me over, did this and did that, and finally said, hey, doc, can I pull the plug on that thing? They call it the Christmas tree where all your bags are hanging. He goes, sure. He said, what do you want to do? I said, I want to go from room to room and talk to people. And he said, sure, go ahead. Just pull the cord, wrap it up. It'll go on battery, and you got several hours. And I did that. And I tucked my Bible under my arm, and I went from room to room, and Carol went with me, and I had a fistful of tracks, and I don't know, we probably went to 10 rooms. I wasn't turned away in one of those rooms. I was welcome in every one of those rooms. And I could stay in every, I wasn't asked to leave one time. I left when I got tired and went on to the next room. And I guarantee you, I was witnessing to people that if you would have met them on the street, they would have brushed you off. But you know why they listened? Every one of them. Every one of them. I could stay as long as I wanted. I was like an old friend, wasn't I, Carol? Didn't know these people, just met him. And you know why? We were in the house of mourning. You want a fruitful ministry, 
Don't go to the parties to witness to people. Go to where people are hurting. Go to where people are wondering. Go to the house of mourning. Jesus identified with the physically infirm. Now, the Lord showed me something some years ago through a book I read. And it was a profound thought. This writer said that the healings of Jesus were not principally about compassion during his earthly ministry. And I thought about that. I said, what did he mean by that? Because a lot of times the Bible says Jesus had compassion on him and healed him. But he made this statement, and I really appreciated it. He said, if the healings of Jesus would have been strictly about compassion, then he would have healed everybody. You ever wonder about that? Why didn't he heal everybody? Certainly when he healed somebody, he had compassion on them. But principally the healings during the earthly ministry of Christ and subsequently the apostles afterward that had apostolic healing were to show Israel and to show the world what things would be like if they would receive him as their king. Those signs and wonders were to identify Christ as the Messiah, but even beyond that, to show, I mean, when he fed the thousands with a couple loaves and a few fishes, that's what he was saying to everybody. He wasn't saying, okay, you guys come here the same time every day and I'll make sure uh, everybody's stomach is full as long as I'm alive. That's not what he was doing. He was showing them what could be if they would have taken him as their king, their Messiah, their Savior. But sadly, they rejected him. And this helped me personally. And I'm going to say it just because it might help someone else here. I'll be honest with you. When I'm feeling healthy, I'm really brave. But when I'm not, not so much. And when I'm not doing good physically, I, I, I got to tell you, for, until I learn that truth, the four Gospels, the book of Acts, there were places in it that would almost mock me because I'd be reading in there about healings and I'd say, okay, Lord, what about me? He had compassion on this guy. Okay. On the count of three. And it helped me to focus in on something I already knew. Healing is in the atonement. But we don't get it all now. But someday we will. Someday we will. We'll have perfect resurrection bodies. There won't be any sickness to be had. Our bodies will not break down. And there will not be any invisible viruses floating around. 
Hallelujah. And all the fun things that go with that. The house of mourning. You want a ministry? A number of years ago, one of my Italian grandparents had died, and I made my way down to Toluca, Illinois, in central Illinois, and to the funeral. And this was the one where the priest didn't show up. And there was some dispute about the burial plot or something, and the priest just didn't show up. So there we were in the Catholic Church, and no mass. Praise the Lord. And no priest. Hallelujah. So one of my uncles come up to me and said, Ricky, because <laughs> I'm still Ricky to some of them. Hey, uh, you're a minister. Could you just sort of take over here? I prayed about it for one second <laughs> and said, Sure. Sure. And I got up there and we had a, a little bit different kind of mass. <laughs> and when it was all over, I had been handing out tracts to people the night before at the viewing, the wake they call it, and uh, earlier that day. And that same, same uncle came up to me later and he said, would you give me one more of those pamphlets? I know you gave me one, but I need another one. I said, what for? He said, I want to give it to my stupid priest. Were <laughs> <laughs> his exact words. But I said all that to say this, and we'll close. We'll finish this message after the conference because there's others that he identified with besides these two groups. But my brother... Yeah, ever since he had a stroke years ago, he's, uh, he's, uh, he's a character. Let me just put it that way. He's a character. And you either love him or hate him on a given day. He's either aggravating the daylights out of you or just entertaining you like crazy. And uh, he walks, he drags one leg and the other arm. It's all noticeable. He had a really debilitating stroke. Half of his brain got knocked out. And uh, he's, he's, he's really something else. He, he swims, I don't know how many miles a day at a, at a pool there uh, at, at a college near where they live. And um, he, he just, he, he's got a big pole on one side and then just like this. And I've watched him. And I call him Sidewinder. <laughs> he's pretty amazing. But like I said, he can either be entertaining you or aggravating the daylights out of you. And at that same, at that same funeral, afterward, when people were hanging around, my brother was grabbing relatives and bringing them to me and sitting them down across from me. And, and he'd say, all right, you, listen to Rick. Rick, witness. <laughs> and then he'd stand back and watch. 
And the first time he did it, he said, what are you doing, Paul? And then it just occurred to me, well, this person wasn't going to say no. <laughs> he was probably scared to. He got drug over here by my brother. So I got done witnessing to him, and my brother released the other person, <laughs> gave him their freedom back, and then brought another one. And same thing. You, listen to Rick. Rick, witness. <laughs> he did that three or four times. You say, what is that? That's an opportunity you won't find in the house of feasting. So, when you're walking down the street, when you're driving down the road, or you're walking through the neighborhood, and out of the corner of your eye, you catch the house of mourning somehow. Maybe you're going to the hospital just for a routine whatever. I remember before I got sick years ago, every time they would take a test, I said, what are you taking a test on me? I've got nothing. And you're just going to the doctor that way. And you're in the waiting room. And you see somebody at the other end of the waiting room. And you can tell this isn't routine for them. You know what I'm saying? That just might be one of the best ministry opportunities you'll ever have. Jesus identified with the poor. He was numbered with the transgressors. And he identified with the physically infirmed. He was numbered with the transgressors. And this morning, he identified with you and I. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for our great Savior. God would become a man. Lord, that alone, that identification alone is beyond our understanding. So much so that many religions have rejected the idea. The Muslims say it's impossible. It's impossible that God could become a man. Well, we thank you that you did and that you identified with us. And so, Lord, help us to go forth from this place as believers, more than willing to identify with you and not be ashamed if we have to bear a little bit of reproach for our identification with you because you freely, freely identified with us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and take our hymnals and turn to number 420. Number 420. I gave my life for thee, my precious blood I shed, that thou might ransom me. house of light my glory 
Brother Mike Walski, would you please come on up and close us in a word of prayer? Thank you. All right, let's bow, please, before the Lord. Our Father and our God, we are so grateful that you were numbered with the transgressors. And though you knew no sin, the Lord Jesus Christ, yet he became sin for us. Lord, we are so grateful that you identified with our sin. You took our sin upon yourself. And because of that, we can be clean, we can be whole, and we can be made the righteousness of Christ in you. Oh, Lord, we're so grateful for that. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Lord, I pray that you'll bless these truths to our hearts. Help remind us always of what you have done for us, of the pit from which we were pulled. Lord, we don't want to revel in where we came from, but we want to remember where we came from because it just makes our salvation so much sweeter. Please bless the day. Give us a good afternoon. Bring us back tonight to glorify you. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.